uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. Hello out there on the internet. I am Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber. You know, for me, Alex Jones is synonymous with the internet. The slowly bloating Texan broadcaster is currently on trial in Austin. This all goes back to Jones peddling conspiracy theories about the Sandy Hook massacre, and Jones has already lost. Uh, the current trial is just about setting damages. Now, amid this, Jones' companies are filing for bankruptcy, and a new documentary about him is playing the festival circuit. He says this is all about the First Amendment, and in a way, he's right. Defamation cases are about the First Amendment. With us today to talk about all things Alex Jones is Motherboard senior staff writer Anna Merlin. Merlin has written extensively about Jones and is following the trial for Motherboard. Anna, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Okay, so for people who just don't have the very basics about, because I know Jones is in and out of the news and it's hard to keep track of all of his legal woes, what mm-hmm. is going on right now? What is this trial about? Um, so at the end of, I'm checking dates here, so excuse me when I'm looking down. So at the end of last year, um, Jones lost uh, all of these defamation cases that were brought by Sandy Hook parents by default um, in both Texas and Connecticut. These are defamation cases, and he lost by default because judges... Um, in these cases said that um, InfoWars and Alex Jones had failed to respond to discovery. So turning over things like financial records. Uh, Jones has consistently argued that he did respond to discovery and that the judges um, in both cases are just, you know, biased against him. Anyway, uh, so what's happening right now is that we are sitting through the first of three trials to determine damages. So there's going to be two trials in Texas and then one in Connecticut to just determine how much InfoWars and Jones are going to have to pay to these families. Um, in the midst of that, Alex Jones's parent or InfoWars parent company has also filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection, which we'll get into. So it is a mess. Do we have any idea how much he could be on the hook for here? So this first case, the plaintiff's lawyers are asking for $150 million. Um, it's very unclear, you know, how much a jury is going to choose to award. And then, of course, um, it's pretty likely that Jones and Infowars are going to argue that they can't pay it. So I think that we're in for a lot of time in court, but it's definitely going to be in the millions. That is a very fair estimate. And can you explain what happened in 2012 what he said after the Sandy Hook massacre that led to all of this. Mm -hmm. Um, So the Sandy Hook massacre happened at the end of 2012. And by at least 2013, um, Jones had started hosting some of the more pernicious kind of Sandy Hook deniers, people who claimed that Sandy Hook either didn't happen, that it was a false flag stage by the government that these children never really died or that they never really existed in the first place. So like a host of incredibly vile, vicious lies. Um, So over the years, Jones personally referred to Sandy Hook as a giant hoax. He implied that the parents were actors and Infowars, you know, also played host to these people like Wolfgang Halbig, who's a pretty kind of infamous Sandy Hook denier. Um, and in a clip that's been played in court several times, Owen Schroyer, who is another InfoWars host and kind of a proto-Alex Jones, um, 
you know, implied that Neil Heslin, one of the plaintiffs in this current trial, was lying about having held his dead son, and he laughed about it while he was talking about it. He kind of chuckled while implying that Neil Heslin was lying. So that has um, that clip has been played in court several times. So basically, yeah, over the years, um, Jones personally and Infowars more broadly implied many times that Sandy Hook was not what it seemed. Um, in more recent years, as the legal threat of saying that became clearer, Jones started saying, you know, that he was sorry and that he did think Sandy Hook had happened after all. But, you know, this was um, the horse was firmly out of the barn by this point. Right. And he's turning this trial into content on Infowars as they go. Right. So it's like yeah. he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. Yeah. Um, essentially, you know, what's been happening here, and I've never actually seen this happen in a civil case before, is that they are, you know, broadcasting live during the trial, you know, talking about it as it's happening. Jones today was not in the courtroom while Neil Heslin was testifying because he was on Infowars, essentially calling, you know, Heslin a patsy of these larger forces um, who are, you know, according to him behind the trial, you know, he referred to Neil Heslin as slow. He said without basis that he thinks Heslin is on the spectrum, you know, has said these really like outrageous and offensive things about the families. Um, And then separately, you know, he and Owen Schroeder at one point were both on Infowars together talking about the case, which is really not allowed because both of them are are witnesses in the case. Um, So they're not supposed to talk to each other about it or about their testimony. And they're especially not supposed to go on, uh, you know, on a live broadcast and talk about it to Infowars thousands of viewers. So it was really, really bad and really unusual. Why? Uh, I have so many questions. <laughs> um, there's so many places I want to go in this conversation, but for, first, yeah. Um, so he's been on, Jones has been on trial a couple of times. I've written about some of his copyright stuff with Pepe the frog. Mm. Why is this particular trial drawing as much attention as it is. Yeah, it's sort of interesting. I would say two things. One is kind of a cultural shift and the other is a broader understanding of like who Alex Jones is. So as you might remember, he became like a kind of, you know, big player in the 2016 election. Um, You know, he was uh, kind of personally, um, he, uh, how do I put this? He was he was close to the Trump campaign. He was specifically close to Trump advisor Roger Stone, Roger Stone, who has appeared on Infowars many times. Um, and as the 2016 election played out, Jones and his sort of style of rhetoric became a topic of discussion. You know, at one point, Hillary Clinton did this kind of like huge press conference and like video about, you know, how harmful Alex Jones as an individual person was. So more people know who he is. Um The second thing is that the Sandy Hook families uh, who are plaintiffs in the case, after many years of trying to ignore Jones, decided in 2018 that they couldn't anymore and that his specific claims about Sandy Hook and his willingness to platform these sort of um, less well-known Sandy Hook hoaxers uh, was making their lives just so miserable that they couldn't not respond anymore. So they started talking about it more openly and started talking about the effects of these conspiracy theories on their lives. Um, And so I think the fact that people really understand who Jones is and the fact that this case is so, um, so clear cut in some ways and is about, you know, such an upsetting event like Sandy Hook is just creating a lot more interest. It's also 
kind of the first time that we've seen some level of accountability for some of the stuff that Jones says, um, you know, because he's, he's been making outrageous claims, especially about mass casualty events for a really long time. And this is the first time that somebody has actually said like, no, you're not allowed to do that to my family. Yeah. It's really wild. Uh, because as, as somebody from Texas spent the majority of my life in Texas, I grew up with Alex Jones kind of in the ether. And he was a guy that yeah, I would listen to like when I couldn't sleep at like 3 a.m. And I would laugh when he's talking about lizard people or, you know, even uh, Ruby Ridge and Waco and these kinds of things. And it, it kind of, it's weird to, it was like I woke up one day in 2016 and suddenly he's a national political figure and people are taking him way more seriously than I ever thought anyone actually did. I thought I, I, I always assumed that we were all kind of in on the joke Right. Mm-hmm. But, but no, I mean, and he parlayed this into a multi-million dollar enterprise. Uh, and it doesn't Did look it. like that's going well now, you know, the business. No, ends. no, it's not going well on the business end at all. Yeah. I mean, so a couple of things here. One is that Alex Jones obviously has been a media figure for a long time and he's been making claims about mass casualty events being, you know, quote unquote, false flags for a long time. He really rose to prominence in the sort of militia, patriot, like anti-government movement, because he was making those claims about the Oklahoma city bombings in 1995. Um, and so this is, this is not a new claim for him. Um, but at that point, essentially what he was saying was that the government had staged the Oklahoma city bombing of the Alfred P. Murrah building, you know, and that Timothy McVeigh, Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols either were like not involved or they were, you know, government patsies, something like that. Um, So what has really happened over time, and this is not just Alex Jones, is that we've seen people making claims about false flags, uh, fixating on smaller and smaller targets. You know, with Sandy Hook, we saw the rise of what's known as the crisis actor conspiracy theory, this idea that people affected by or killed in mass casualty events are are actors, you know, um, staging things by the government. And so with the rise of that claim, um, it sort of innately meant that he was going to start making inflammatory, false, defamatory claims about, you know, ordinary people, private citizens, people who are not public figures. And so when you get down to it, people who have um, a much easier time suing you when you say something like that. Um, And so, yeah, this financially, I think, has been devastating for Jones already and Infowars and will be more so as time goes on. Right, because he got he already got chased off of all the platforms, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, between 2018 and 2019, he was de- Infowars and Alex Jones were taken off most major social media platforms. And can you tell me about the bankruptcy? Mm-hmm. So, um, Free Speech Systems filed for bankruptcy on Friday. Free Speech Systems is Infowars' parent company. This is the second time that a Jones-related entity has tried to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection recently. A couple months ago, I'd have to check the dates. um, Three companies related to Infowars tried to file for bankruptcy. Um, Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection, which is a specific thing. It's different than Chapter 7 without getting into bankruptcy law. Um, But what happened almost immediately is that a group of the Sandy Sandy Hook plaintiffs sued these related companies in court in Texas and said, essentially... You know, we think that the bankruptcy filing is a dodge to pay us what this guy's going to owe us. And we think that he's moving this money into shell companies um, that are functionally still owned by Jones or, you know, in the names of people like 
his family members, his children. Um, so that bankruptcy filing, the earlier bankruptcy filing, essentially InfoWars agreed to drop. But now um, they've produced this new free speech systems filing. So it remains to be seen what's going to happen with that. Um, some of the Sandy Hook plaintiffs and one of the lawyers for the plaintiffs were talking about it earlier this week. They told the Texas Tribune that, again, they essentially think this is a dodge to not have to pay the damages that they anticipate he will owe. So um, this current trial is going to continue happening. Uh, it remains to be seen what the bankruptcy filing is going to mean for, you know, the other two trials that are supposed to happen this year and what it's going to mean as far as um, InfoWars and free speech systems sort of stated ability to pay the damages. How are you, how's everyone watching it? Is it just being broadcast on YouTube? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the um, courtroom has a live stream. And then there are also, I think, uh, I think Law and Crime, you know, which is becoming really well known for live streaming trials, um, might also be live streaming portions of it, but I'm just watching the court's stream. I think they're posting it because uh, I was trying to find some footage of it today mm-hmm. or yesterday. Their law and crime uh, is posting like 24 hours after they're taking Recaps, the, yeah. the the Harris County and then just putting it up afterwards uh, is kind Travis of Travis County. Seen. Travis County. Yeah. Harris County is Houston, I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, yeah. So, I mean, what that means, too, is that there's a huge degree of like visibility for the trial and people like me who weren't able to travel are able to watch it and live stream it. So there's a, there's a lot more media on this than there usually is for something related to Alex Jones. I know that the New York times reporter Elizabeth Williamson is there who wrote about, um, wrote a book about Sandy hook. And then, um, the, one of the hosts of knowledge fight, which is a podcast about Alex Jones is there and his tweets, um, his name is Jordan Holmes are also getting a lot of attention. So what is, who, what has this been like so far? It seemed, it sounds like we're just reading the descriptions, um, like a clown show almost like a, like a rolling disaster in some ways. What is this? What, how, how do I don't even know how to ask the question correctly. Like, like how does this, so yeah, is justice being served at all here? So it's important to note, right. That Alex Jones and InfoWars have already lost these cases by default. So stepping into the courtroom, they had already lost. And this is supposed to be just about determining damages. Um, But of course, Alex Jones and InfoWars do not agree with that premise. (laughs) And so a lot of this is seemingly them kind of trying to relitigate the case, both in the courtroom and on InfoWars. Um, And then doing a really bad job sort of following the judge's kind of basic instructions to, for instance, like not discuss the case or not talk about the case with each other. Um, uh, The judge is clearly really exasperated. You know, she has rebuked Jones several times. Jones's attorneys uh, accused, you know, the other side has accused Jones's attorneys of like not following basic rules of civil procedure. Um, Everyone is just incredibly cranky. It is a real, um, you know, courtrooms are tense places, obviously, but even by those standards, it's just very notable how, um, how mad everybody is. And so you know, um, Jones has been in and out of the courtroom. He claimed that he had medical issues that made it so he couldn't sit through the whole trial. You know, in fact, he's been sort of in and out of the courtroom because he's been on InfoWars. He's been, you know, uh, live broadcasting. But meanwhile, you know, uh, Scarlett Lewis and Neil Heslin, whose son Jesse was murdered at Sandy Hook, have been in the courtroom every day. And it is really... Um, striking to think about what this must be like for them to see, you know, 
seemingly probably from their perspective, Jones kind of like running circles around sort of normal rules of civil procedure. And, you know, it, it must feel like a slap in the face. Um, they are not giving interviews right now. Um, you know, they're occasionally commenting through their attorneys, but you know, unlike Jones, they have not turned this into, um, a circus. Yeah, so it sounds like they're just completely not taking this seriously at all and just using this as an opportunity to play to their audience, right? Yeah, well, they're definitely using it to play to their audience. They're definitely casting it on InfoWars as, you know, an attack on free speech. Jones was saying today, you know, that the trial is the work of the Democratic Party, the Rothschilds, the deep state, you know, um, and that they're just, they've duped these Sandy Hook parents into, you know, taking part in their sinister agenda, you know, whatever, uh, whatever terminology he wants to use. Um, but I do think they're taking it seriously in the sense that I think they understand that this is an existential threat to InfoWars as a company and to Alex Jones', Alex Jones sort of longevity as a broadcaster, you know, because if they owe significant amounts of money coming out of this first trial, let alone the other two, which are not going to go any better. Um, you know, that's going to be a real serious, uh, issue to their continued kind of normal operations. All right. Cyber listeners, we're going to pause there for a break. We are on with Anna Merlin talking about the Alex Jones trial. We will be right back after these messages from our sponsor. And if you're watching the Twitch stream, we will be back immediately. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right, cyber listeners, welcome back. Thank you for sticking around. We are talking to uh, Motherboard Senior Staff Writer Anna Merlin about the Alex Jones trial. Um, so another kind of fascinating part about this whole thing to me is that this is this is a jury trial, right, mm-hmm. taking place in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, can you explain why that is perhaps challenging? Right. So this jury is going to have to determine how much to award and damages. But um, Alex Jones has been a pretty well-known figure in Austin for, you know, however long he's been doing this, 20 years, um, more than 20 years. And, you know, is well-known enough that he's appeared in a couple of Richard Linklater films. Like, he is sort of one of Austin's more famous residents. So the first challenge during jury selection, which was also live-streamed, was just to find enough people who didn't really know who he was and didn't have sort of a preconceived notion about him, you know, like literally a trial that a jury that could be like unbiased enough to, you know, hear this case with some modicum of fairness. So there's that. I mean, the second thing also is that um, with the amount of media coverage that this is engendering and with the fact that InfoWars is talking about this all the time on air, the judge has to constantly remind the jury that they are not allowed to, look up anything about this case, you know, and the risks of something kind of incidentally coming into their field of view are constant. So, you know, before she let them go for the weekend on Friday, she said, this is going to be really hard. I need you to try to read a book this weekend. I need you to go to the park, you know, because at this point, pretty much if they log on to social media, 
there is a good chance that they will accidentally see something about Alex Jones or about the trial, which would uh, be really bad. What about sequestration? Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> I was uh, years ago, I read, you know, Helter Skelter, the book about the Manson trial. Yeah. 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 So that jury was sequestered for like seven months or something, a really long time sequestration, like actual physical sequestration where you're like, okay, you're staying in a hotel until the trial is over is really difficult to do. And it's really unpopular with juries. So I don't, I don't think they're going to do that here, but certainly the judge is super aware of the kind of risks posed by how public this trial is and how public Jones is. So, you know, and then of course, um, Jones's attorneys are constantly moving for a mistrial on various bases is pretty much after every witness. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to work, but that is definitely their tactic. Uh, comment from uh, chat. It's hard to imagine they'd see worse on social media than they're seeing in the courtroom, frankly. Um, yeah. Can you talk like, I know we, we've hit on it. Actually, I want to hit this one point real quick. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to talk about like what Austin's like and what Alex Jones as a figure is like for people that don't know. Um, I've got a lot of friends in Austin. I've spent a lot of time there. Um, it's not, Austin's not a very, it's a city, but it's not a big one. Um, mm-hmm. And it has a lot of local cranks and local celebrities. And Jones has mm-hmm. been one there for 30 or more years. Um, yeah, for a really long time. And so like, imagine you're just, you're eating lunch one day um, on a patio somewhere. And there's just a guy across the street with a bullhorn um, talking about the globalists. Like that's a thing that he would do on the weekends. He just kind of go out and find a place and set up shop and just yell at the street. Uh, he, he would also get into a car and do this, uh, like, mm-hmm. and just kind of travel the city and like trying to get his message out. So it, he is a constant presence there. So it's, so it, it is not, it is wild that they were able to find people in Austin that don't have an opinion on him. I think that, that's, yeah, that was a fascinating part. Yeah. 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 And he had a public access TV show for a while. You know, it's not like he's not, he's not new to the scene. Yeah. I mean, he's well known in that city, more well known than anywhere else in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, tell what, what is, what has it been like? Uh, what, like, tell me about the, this, this testimony by Schroyer that you wrote about. Yeah. So there were two kind of Infowars representatives who were testifying in court who were really noteworthy. One was Owen Schroyer, who is, um, you know, a younger InfoWars host. He's also a January 6th defendant. Um, and then the other person who testified at length was Daria Karpova, who's an InfoWars producer and was designated as InfoWars corporate representative for the purposes of the trial. So she was supposed to be speaking on behalf of the company. Um, Karpova was really poorly prepared. She was mumbling a lot. She couldn't answer really basic questions about the company that she should have known as the corporate representative. It was a total mess. Um, Schroer was slightly better prepared and slightly better spoken, probably because he's, you know, on air all the time, but was again, you know, kind of not doing a great job responding to mm, sort of basic questions about his own conduct. So one of the things that's been really disastrous for InfoWars during this trial is that at one point um, during the sort of height of InfoWars covering Sandy Hook constantly, uh, Schroer was on air and somebody handed him an article from Zero Hedge, which is like a very strange kind of ultra conspiratorial site that a lot of our readers might be familiar with. So he handed him the Zero Hedge article written by an anonymous commenter named Zero Point Now. And he essentially just started like reading and riffing on it, on it, like on air. 
um, zero fact checking. And this was the, this was the incident that led him to sort of question or seemingly make fun of the notion that Neil Heslin had held Jesse, his dead son. Um, and so this was like a, just a horrendous, um, visual. It also, um, really kind of gave lie to the argument that Schroeder has been trying to make, which is that, you know, Infowars is a news organization and that when they make mistakes, they apologize. And, you know, he didn't make any mistakes maliciously. He was just, you know, covering breaking news as it happened. So at some point, you know, um, the jury has been allowed to ask these folks questions. The jury writes down their questions and the judge reads them. And someone asked, you know, how would you cover Sandy Hook differently if you had it to do over again? And Schroeder said, you know, I wouldn't cover it. This like four minutes of me on air has been very damaging I think he said damaging to the company and me personally, I would have to check. But yeah, so he's clearly aware that he did not do anybody any favors. Has Jones testified? Is he going to testify? He's probably going to testify. Uh, if not today, then I would think tomorrow. So when I um, signed off of the live stream to do this, Scarlett Lewis, Jesse's mom was still testifying. And then, yeah, I would guess that Jones is probably going to take the stand. Hmm tomorrow uh he shouldn't uh, you know I, most lawyers would tell him not to but he's probably gonna yeah i mean it's too i mean i'm sure he uh, i'll speculate i'll do the unjournalistic thing and speculate um i'm sure in his mind you know it, it's an opportunity that can't be passed up right um, yeah i mean he testified in front of the january 6th committee though he didn't really have a choice about that one um, you know, I think that he views anyone as an audience that can be won over. But again, I don't know. I'm also speculating. He could decide that it's not a good idea. His lawyers could talk him out of it. Um, there's been quite a bit of turnover in his lawyers. Um, you know, the one of his longtime lawyers is apparently like Jones is no longer speaking to him. You know, there's a lot of shuffling behind the scenes that we're getting glimpses of that seems, again, not great. And you were almost called as an expert witness in this, right? I was informally asked by one of the plaintiff's attorneys and then by Alex Jones's attorney, Norm Pattis, who's no longer talking to him, if I would consider doing that. But I, of course, said no, that's not, that's not yeah. my job. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have you ever talked to or interviewed Jones? I have talked to him. I would not classify it as an interview. I was being pretty informal in a way that I kind of regret now. Um, so I saw him at the um, RNC in 2016. He was drinking in a Mexican restaurant and I just went over um, and talked to him very briefly in kind of a scattershot way about a couple things. Um, at the time I was working for Jezebel, the feminist website. And one of my assignments was to ask every RNC Republican celebrity that I saw if they considered themselves to be woke because that was suddenly a term that Republicans had discovered. Alex Jones told me that he was 100% woke. Um, and then we talked briefly about uh, whether or not he thinks vaccines cause autism, because that was a kind of topic of discussion at the time. He said that he thinks that they do, which, of course, they do not. Vaccines do not cause autism. So it was a very brief interaction. I have tried to interview him a couple times in a more organized way and got sort of a weird series of reactions from... Infowars. At one point, they were telling me that they would only allow me to interview him for a book that I wrote if I essentially went on Infowars as like a punching bag. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to do that. Is that is that how they characterized it when they talked to you? 
I was emailing with Rob Dew, who's an InfoWars personality and producer, and he told me um, something like, you know, you can interview him if you go on InfoWars to represent this sort of, like, feminist social justice warrior, like, something ridiculous. And I was like, okay, well, obviously, we're not doing that. Come be our straw man, and we'll give you what you want, basically. I actually said I will do it if you let me come to the studio in Austin, and if you let me, you know in the studio because that I can write about. I'm not going to do this as a live stream. It's a very strange interaction. Have you seen this documentary that's going around right now that people are talking about? Mm-mm. Nope. Are you, you sound like you're not going to watch it the way that you responded. I'm probably, I'm probably not going to watch it. Um, so but, yeah, that's not true. I'll probably watch it actually. So this is an, a uh, documentary by a filmmaker named Alex Lee Moyer, who previously made what has been described as kind of a sympathetic movie about incels. And now she seemingly, though I have not watched it yet, has made kind of a sympathetic film about Alex Jones. So that's not how she's describing it. And the you know launch of this movie in Austin, Alex Jones attended it. Um, Glenn Greenwald interviewed him on stage. The hosts of the sort of post-left podcast Red Scare were there. It's a uh, it attracted a specific audience and a specific type of person. It was scored by Ariel Pink. Um, it, yeah. So uh, I think that it is an interesting window probably into how Alex Jones wants to be seen. Um, and so I might watch it for those purposes, but I don't think that it's obviously like a, probably not an objective view to this, uh, to the extent that anything can be an objective view. Right. Of Alex Jones. A bit of a hagiography maybe. I don't know. I'll watch it. Maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised. I uh, The people I know who have watched it so far um, have not been kind to it. Uh, so, so I think, yeah, you're, I think you're, you're probably right. Um, you know, that, that it is probably a little bit toothless and not quite, I guess, I mean, there is a lot to talk about there. He's he's, oh, led, yeah. uh, he's led a fascinating life and there's a lot of bad stuff. <laughs> there's a lot of bad stuff. And if you shy away from that, I think you're, you're, you don't have a complete view of the man, right? Yeah, I wrote about sort of his evolution and devolution of his career at the end of last year and just about kind of who he could have been, maybe if he had taken a different kind of direction in his early days and had become less obsessed with the Sandy Hook stuff. Um, It's, yeah, it's certainly interesting to think about. So, you know, uh, fascinating, fascinating what's going on. There is, it's worth saying too at this point that there's a degree of kind of Jones revisionism that's happening on the right, mostly, you know, Tucker Carlson has spoken kind of glowingly of him on Fox News. And there's sort of this, um, this, um, the sentiment starting to bubble up that, you know, Alex Jones is a truth teller, or a really good journalist, and the left is just going after him for no reason. So there's that's a, a thing that's happening. Yeah, it's this weird attempt to turn him into a free speech murder. Yes. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. which I've only, which I've, which I find extremely fascinating because the people like Tucker Carlson and a lot of these other people on the right are not, it's not like they weren't targets of Jones before. You right. know? They're the yeah. exact kind of people that he would have gone after. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Jones has been, you know, pretty withering about previous Republican presidential administrations, though not Trump per se, but you know, like the first and second Bush administrations, you know, he is not uh, solely, promoted conspiracy theories that are friendly to the right. You know, he used to be more of an anti-establishment, you know, kind of like right libertarian figure who was just as willing to take on those folks. I don't know what he's had to say about Fox news, but I assume it has not been 
uniformly kind. So yes, it is interesting to see that revisionism happening. So he has said, and other people have said that this trial is about uh, the first amendment, which Mm -hmm. is technically true, right? Um, Well, this trial technically is about, you know, what happens when you don't respond to discovery, (laughs) but yes, uh, yes. Infowars and Alex Jones are casting it as an attack on the free, on the first amendment and free speech. So what do you, how do you respond to that? What do you make of that? Um, I think that the first amendment gives you wide latitude to say a lot of things, including questioning Sandy Hook or other mass casualty events. If you want to, uh, it doesn't allow you to defame people. It doesn't allow you to, you know, recklessly make up lies and tell them, you know, without any sort of regard for the truth. And, you know, any journalist who has been sued for defamation as, you know, as I have personally in a suit that was not successful as, you know, motherboard has as a company, again, I, you know, like we kind of know what the lines are and kind of what, um, what constitutes news gathering versus what constitutes defamation. It is not uncommon for news organizations to be sued for defamation. That doesn't mean that there are, you know, grounds for those lawsuits to continue. So, um, you know, what Jones has done and what InfoWars have done is clear cut, reckless disregard for the truth. There's a reason why these cases were, you know, kind of viewed as slam dunks by many people. You know, and it's because as far as we know, there was no fact checking. There was no sort of like um, analysis of what they were given. It was mostly, you know, Jones and Infowars repeating things on air that were incredibly defamatory, incredibly harmful. And, you know, frequently about private citizens, people who are not public figures. So the bar is even lower. So, yeah, for anybody who is a journalist or cares about free speech issues, you know, this this does not seem to be an attack on free speech. What do you think this all ends for him? So he has at least two more cases, you know, after this one, two more damages cases. Um, We have to see what's going to happen with free speech systems bankruptcy. I'm guessing that it's not going to be necessarily a smooth process, so it might go better than the last time. So, you know, in the near term, a lot of time in court leading to almost certainly a very large series of monetary judgments that, you know, they don't have a crystal ball, but I think it's very unlikely that Jones just pays them unquestioningly. So, you know, for me, it seems like it's just going to be an endless amount of civil litigation for him for really the next few years, probably. And that is one thing, but that also means that the Sandy Hook families are going to continue to be in litigation for months or years. And that is really hard to think about, you know, because we're hearing this testimony today from Neil Heslin and Scarlett Lewis, Jesse's parents. Um, They have already been through so much. It has been 10 years since their son died. Uh, They have been through, you know, so many different kinds of loss and grief and re-traumatization as a result of things that Jones and other Sandy Hook deniers have done. And so, you know, for them, I am sure that they're ready for this to be over. And I'm sure that they are very, very tired. Anna Merlin, thank you so much for coming on to Cyber and walking us through this. I'm sure there's going to be many more stories about this. It's just kind of a thing that's going to be rolling for a while. Um, Go to motherboard.vice.com where you can read Anna's work on the trial as it comes out and follow her on Twitter. What is your at? Uh, It's at Anna Merlin. 
where you have been doing a great job of live tweeting everything that's going out and kind of responding to questions and comments in real time. Um, if you like the show and you want to watch it live as it's being recorded, follow us on twitch.tv forward slash motherboard TV and you will be notified when we go live. Uh, we will be back a little bit later this week with another uh, story from the internet. Goodbye. Thank you everybody for who tuned in to the Twitch chat. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.